Hello, my name is Aviva, and I'll be having a conversation with Hannah for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Communal Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experience of trans-identifying people. It's February 19th, 2019, and it's being recorded on Broom Street in Chinatown in my apartment. Hi, Hannah. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm pretty good. Um, I was thinking because you're in school right now, training um, mm -hmm. in therapy, if we didn't do the regular format where I just ask you questions and I just wanted to ask what's on your mind. Um, that's really sweet. Um, well, today I'm getting over being a little bit sick and thinking about like my body and winter and like cold, like temperature stuff and like cold like calling it a cold but like it, does it really come from being cold or does it come like the weather's been nice but like I still have a little sniffle so I'm like what is it am I like still sick um I'm thinking about school because I had a long weekend this weekend and I'm gonna go back to school tomorrow and I'm learning about this thing right now I'm about to start doing research with this professor who researches conflict in psychotherapy and specifically like how conflicts are like escalated and addressed or not and the way that she studies it is by coding video so when I was on the train over here I was reading her manual for how to code the video sequences and then thinking about like why it was the way that it was what does coding mean like they'll be like okay so like code the video gets coded these different interactions get coded in a certain way so basically it means like if someone was listening to this recording they would like put like they would be like this thing happened in this moment and they would like put a code into a like a worksheet basically but the code for this videos for these therapy videos are like for moments of rupture or moments of repair and so one category of rupture is like confrontation and another like big category is withdrawal so if the patient like the therapist is like what was going on for you and the patient changes the subject that would like get coded as a withdrawal and if the th therapist is like what was going on for you and the patient's like that's a stupid question that would get coded as like a specific kind of confrontation but then within confrontation withdrawal there's like lots of subcategories of like little things that might count as like um kinds of whatever things but it's arbitrary like any taxonomy like that it's like arbitrary so i was thinking like how did they decide which ones to do and like also like what does it mean that this was designed by therapists and not by like people who are in therapy that's what i was thinking about right before i walked into your house do you think that they're not in therapy too i think they are but i think that um Maybe in the way that, like, doctors also go to the doctor, but, like, primarily identify with the role that's more powerful and, like, have that power all the time, even when they're them they themselves are at the doctor. Or, like, my mom's a doctor, and when she's at the doctor, she, like, still is, like, bossing around the doctor, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I think my th therapists who wrote this stuff probably are in therapy, but they also are, like, in a specific social position that makes them specific people to be doing the research. Mm. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess because you are learning tools to like have a relational intelligence where you get to read and like legibly see how why people's actions are the way that they are. I was wondering how you relate that to your like everyday life in in your friendships and your relationships. They keep telling us at school that we're not allowed to do therapy. They keep being like 
It's not, you can't use these skills outside of the therapy office. It's wrong. <clears throat> but I think that that framework also implies that like I didn't, like I'm in my, only in my second semester. So I've only been in therapy school for like six months. But I think a lot of the stuff that we're learning about is stuff that I've been learning about and thinking about and working on for like years and years and years. Um, and I don't know, someone else recently was like, has it changed you? Like, has school changed you yet? And I was like, I don't think exactly. Like, I think that I'm still, I think there's certain parts of like the ethical parts of therapy that are important and that make it different from like hanging out with your friends. Like when you're a therapist with someone, you're like really not going to talk about it with anyone or like you're really not gonna like ever like fuck each other or like have like go on a road trip together or like do any of the other kinds of things that friends do with each other and I think that that is makes it protective in a way that like hanging out with friends is more like volatile and complex and like rich in this other way you know um but I'm still I think I'm I have a I feel like a sense of like First of all, like, just basically being like, I'm not really a therapist yet. Like, I don't even practice it as part of my school yet. So, like, it will just be different when it changes. But also, I do wonder, like, when, if I, there is a part of my life where, like, nine to five, some number of days a week, I'm just seeing patients, what it would be like to socialize after that and how I would get in or out of that. Like, and I think that will be, like, it's something I wonder about, but I'm not totally there yet because I'm still a beginner. Do you feel like you operate or could operate, like, compartmentalizing this kind of emotionally intense experiences or do you feel like I mean I just wonder that in therapy how someone can contain all of that and then move on totally I think it depends a lot on what your clients are like and I think they talk about that a lot in school but like if you see a lot of people who are who might have like frustration or aggression towards you it's really different than if you see a lot of people who are like sad or like just kind of like shut down or like if you're seeing people who are like being hospitalized like if you're working like an inpatient setting where people are like heavily medicated or restrained like that kind of therapy is way more intense than if you're like working like with like upper east side moms who are just like i'm having a hard day do you have like a specific demographic of people that you are hoping to work with when i started applying to therapy school I was like I'm gonna work with trans people like that's my thing but now that I've been in school for a minute and been seeing how intensely I don't know like the way that the whole institution of psychotherapy is set up around or just how oppressive it is I think I feel more broadly like I want to work with anyone who might get fucked over by that system and that's like a huge range of people including like teenagers and young people and like people who are broke and like people who have like severe diagnoses that are often like pathologized in a adversarial way or like um yeah and obviously queer people I feel lately learning about it I've been getting really interested in couples therapy because it seems so hard it seems so like complex and like I'm kind of like I came to doing in like one like clinical psych from social organizational psychology so I think I've been interested in like dyads and groups and like relational stuff for a really long time um but 
I don't really know yet. I think, or I keep, that's what I keep, t- I'm interviewing for externships right now and I keep being like, what's up with like this thing? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, I'm not sure. I don't know what I'm going to do. I want to learn a lot. I want to experience different stuff and try it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's important uh, for this interview if you talk a little more about your social or political work that led to exploring this other um, format of relating to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just more generally, like if you wanted to talk a, a, a little about how you got to therapy, and I know that that's oh yeah, that totally. I guess, like, professionally, there was a part of my life where I was just doing, like, community organizing stuff and doing some of it with, like, activist organizations and then doing some of it in the context of, like, youth development or, like, working with young people, doing social justice education. Can you name some of the organizations if you want to? Totally. Just the record of this. Yeah. Well, when I first... One of my, like, early influential community organizing experiences was with the Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, which is an organization based here in New York, and they have an organizing fellowship. And I, that is like, you can just apply to get training for how to do organizing. And I had been working with them for about a year just as like a volunteer. At the time, they were like doing two campaigns that, one of which was entirely like volunteer member led. So like anyone who was just like, I'm a constituent. I'm like a Jewish person in New York could like come to meetings and like be a pain in the ass and including me. And we were working on a campaign about police accountability that was with part of a wider coalition called Communities United for Police Reform. And so that was like, I think in 2013 and there was a big win in that case around stop and frisk stuff that I think aligned with, like, slightly before de Blasio was elected. Um, But I remember doing that stuff, and then as I was working on that, in that space, I got a bunch of opportunities to, like... I think at one point, like, some, like, college students came into town and were like, hey, we want to, like, learn about community organizing. Like, does anyone... And then so J. Fred was like, does anyone want to, like, talk to these college students about, like, how this works? And that was one of my, like, early ones, being like, oh, yeah. And I also, at that time, was, like, my day job was with an organization that I think is now called the Center for Social Responsibility, the JCC in Manhattan. So I was also working in a kind of, like, more mainstream Jewish institution doing, like, more mainstream social justice education. Or, like, JFRIDGE, which is Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, is pretty far left. Like, they're, like explicitly anti-capitalist basically as far as you can be and then my day job was like with a much more like center like like liberal progressive kind of like institutional non-profit think tank that was just like and then that was also interesting because I got to learn how to code switch I guess um that was how I got started and then a bunch of different stuff happened, but ultimately I ended up moving to Philadelphia and getting a master's degree in like organizational psych and 
getting to do like management consulting stuff that was like started out because I was doing kind of like diversity and inclusion stuff in organizations. But I worked at a consulting firm in Philadelphia for a year. And then I left that full time and started doing just different projects. And got to do a lot of different kinds of workshops and trainings on like all kinds of stuff from like how to make a like white organization like less unwelcoming to people who aren't white or like how to like do like marketing strategy or like kind of like hiring strategy like these kind of like more dry business related questions um and I think in all that work the whole time I was like I really want to get into the emotional parts of it like I want to know why it's hard for these people to solve this organizational problem or like I want to know why I want to get into like what's challenging for them about what they're doing and then it was kind of like that impulse that got me into clinical psych I was like but where do you what's the field where you just get to do the emotional stuff and what was it like um in relation to your gender working in these larger spaces I mean I think that's funny it's funny that you asked that because I think that's part of the story that I don't tell as often like when someone's like like when I'm in psych school and people are like, what's your career before this? I'm like, oh, I just did this other thing. But I think part of the thing that I bury or like don't always share is that like part of why I felt like I couldn't do organizational development stuff anymore and like couldn't do consulting stuff anymore is because so much of what was powerful for me or like why I was powerful doing that work was like because I could go into boardrooms or like go to groups of like organizational leaders who were often like groups of men and just be like, here's what's happening. Like, here's my ideas. Like, here's what you need to do. And be really confident and be really, like, authoritative in front of groups of men. And when I started transitioning, I was like, you can't actually do that anymore. And I remember, I so I took a, like, big break from doing work like that for, like, almost a year and a half. And I think I, like, I worked as a barista and I, like, really practiced, like, just being in public and being in groups. And at the end of that year and a half, I did a big consulting project for Eileen Fisher. And I remember when I was presenting to their executive team last summer and I was, like, wearing a dress and, like, had a full face of makeup on and was, like, modulating my voice. I was, like, there was, like, one man in the room and he was just the entire time was, like, so, like unsettled like he was just like like all of these like older cis women and like drapey clothes were just like whatever like there's like this person with a like gender variant person is like doing her thing like we're just gonna be regular we're gonna like act as we're gonna be polite basically and this one guy who was like the finance guy was like just couldn't get it together he's just like staring at me and kind of like as though like i was like insulting his family or something like it was like he was really unnerved and i remember being like I wasn't wrong like it wasn't gonna be safe for me like now because at that point I think I was like a lot farther along in my process in terms of like just feeling safe and comfortable in public and like feeling okay in my body but in the earlier phases like when I dropped out of that work it was like I think I would have needed like days or weeks to recover from an experience like that mm. so that's part of the story too is that I was like if you do individual psychotherapy like could probably just there's a version of it where you just see queer people and you just work with queer people and you're supervised by queer people and like now that I'm in school I'm like well like that you can get to that eventually but you actually have to be around a lot of cis people first but even just getting to imagine that made it seem like more of a viable possibility than like the reality of being 
I don't know, like consulting stuff, just like so many men and so many men who are like really and like strongly identified with their institutional power. And I didn't, it felt, I mean, we feel really bad on my gender to have to like kind of go like be, like go be convincing to them or go be like authoritative with them. What has it like been being trans in like school right now? Is there like, yeah, what's your experience with that? It's funny. I think like, I mean, this connects to this other thing. You know, you asked me like what I wanted to talk about broadly. And I think one thing that I'm interested in talking about or thinking about is sort of like, being in a cultural moment where trans people's visibility is like amping up and so then also like the cat like the social or cultural category for like what a trans person is is also getting more like concretely defined or something and like I think about that in school a lot because I think a lot of my classmates are like ages 22 through 22 through 26 like maybe coming like what studied psych undergrad like worked in a psych lab for a year or two and then like applied to psych doctoral programs and they're like maybe have never chilled with a trans person before and like maybe definitely haven't like seen a trans person like every day in school so at the beginning of the semester they were definitely just like kind of like on me like just like they were like what's your deal but they were also a little afraid of me and I think like also having made friends now more there's like a couple of other queer people in my program there who are not trans but they're like you know like just really gay and like being friends with them and like talking a little more about like what it's like they've also been like Hannah it's not just because you're trans you're also like a particular person like you also like have you know, like, you're intense, and you're, like, really verbal, and, like, you use big words, and la la la, so, like, also, I think it's been helpful for me to think about what are the ways that people experience me because of my gender, and then also what are the ways that people experience me in addition to that, or, like, intersecting with that, that are also just part of, like, what I'm like, or what it's like to be around me. One of the questions, it's funny, it's, um, what aspects of your identity are most important to you, which is, like, but I, I am thinking about how much you hold and how they like intersect and amplify each other or yeah. and yeah, and what you feel like is important in being like visibilized or known totally. when you interact with people. Totally. I mean one of these things that's like I think the kind of thing that you have to like think about if you do therapy is like the idea in therapy of like transference or like what are the feelings that the patient feels towards the therapist and like in like traditional psychoanalysis being like it's like your psychoanalyst is like an old bearded white man and like you're supposed to like your transverse and supposed to be like your feelings towards your father or your feelings towards authority figures and like now in like postmodernism where like your transference can be anything but it's like you and then I think the idea that I've been chewing on kind of is being like specific like everyone has certain kinds of transference that they like pull out of other people or like elicit and so like like one of you're and my mutual friends like really like makes people elicits like feelings of care like other people want them to care for them you know or like some of our mutual friends like people are like I want you to think I'm cool like that's a feeling that like that they brought so I think one of the things I've been trying to figure out in this phase of my life that's also connected to something we were talking about before about like how therapy is interconnected with everyday life is just being like what transference do I elicit from people like what are things people might have a tendency to feel towards me and what are they 
how can I like keep people safe who want to be near me or want to be close to me or who like I'm in practice with and that's a piece of my identity I've been thinking about lately do you have any conclusions what you're drawing at I think that like one of the ones that's challenging is that and this is like another thing I've talked about with some of my classmates is that like I think sometimes people do feel like I hold a lot of power even in situations where I feel kind of like clueless or in the dark or like not really sure what's going on people are like impute power onto me or like experience me as holding a lot of power and I think that that's one that when I was like closeted and I was like I'm just like a feminist man I felt like I was like that's just like you have to be always you're always are holding that much power because of patriarchy and you always are on the line for it and anytime anyone experiences disempowerment because of you it's absolutely 100% exactly what's happening and I think since I transitioned and have experienced like more like I think I've had more experiences where I'm like in a situation I think especially with like some it's been all kinds of different ones but I'm thinking of a specific one with like a a partner or like not like really a partner but like a date like a year and a half ago where I was like oh you are experiencing an intense amount of disempowerment in this situation but I'm not sure that you know I was like but you're cis and you're also like not you're like dating me as a trans girl in this way that's kind of like fetishizy and like kind of fucking with me like I was like oh there's all these ways that this situation is like hurting me and is freaky for me that are is about structural power and this person doesn't understand it and instead is like you Hannah hold all the power and I was like oh that is like an intense that's not like that that person's like wrong or crazy but that's also part of like their experience of what it's like to be close to me that I then have to negotiate with and then that has all these different consequences like that people like then feel like I'm like masterminding a situation or like pulling all the puppet strings when I'm like I don't know what's going on like I was just being like careless or I was just being like I was just making a guess about what would be like funny or like you know whatever the thing is um but I think like trying maybe like part of the what that means for me is like it's like a lifelong quest to be like more conscientious and then also like more and also compassionate with myself or something like to remind myself that I am vulnerable even if other people don't see me that way um which is kind of like a deep or that's like a very like nuanced and mushy answer to like a part of my identity that's important to me but I think it's like very honest like that's one I've been chewing on a lot in the past like eight weeks or something like just really working on that I think other maybe like a more conventional answer to that question would be like I'm Jewish or like I come from a lot of class privilege and so I also like have like a lot of the organizing work I've done also has been with like other people who have class privilege who are thinking about like redistributing resources in different ways um and I'm a white person so that's also like part of what it means to be an activist in this time is to be like what does it mean to like benefit from white supremacy and to have like all of the cultural stuff that your ancestors had like stripped away because of how whiteness strips away cultural identity in exchange for like access to institutional stuff <clears throat> or like or maybe a more concrete for if someone is listening to this who's like what are you talking about would be like in the 
40s like Jewish people couldn't go to Ivy League schools really and then like by the 60s like both of my parents had gone to Ivy League schools but both my parents also came from Jewish families where like they didn't do any kind of traditional Jewish stuff and they didn't speak Yiddish and they didn't wear traditional clothes and like that was like a power exchange that happened for Ashkenazi Jews in the 20th century, I think, that like I benefited from in that I got all this institutional access, but I like lost out from because I got cut off from all this like Jewish history and all this Jewish culture that like the Jews who still hold that culture and do that culture, like Orthodox Jews in New York, like are effectively like not welcome in a lot of other institutional spaces and still face much more anti-Semitism than like sort of like assimilated Ashkenazi Jews who are like just white people or something like that. Is there any way that you've connected to any kinds of uh, cultural traditions that like help reestablish like, I don't know, um, feeling more grounded in that in, in the past or in yeah. your ancestry? When I lived in Philadelphia, there was a really incredible synagogue there called Kolt Sedek, and they, the rabbi was like a 28-year-old trans guy. He might have been a little older than that, but he was trans, and like the demographic of people who went to the synagogue was like mostly young people who were like all, like, it was like, it's weird to say this, but it was like usually like three-quarter plus like visually recognizably gender variant people and that was like so 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 particular and even though it wasn't like exactly like my people like it was like it was like everyone was like really nerdy and like really into Yiddish and like really into some of these questions of like how to reclaim this stuff which was I was always like oh like it's like a little too much for me or like it's not exact it wasn't like a perfect cultural match so I didn't like hang out there all the time but I did start going to Shabbat there every week and like trying to give myself room to like be in a traditional space and like just learn more and I like learned a little bit of Hebrew there was a different trans rabbi who taught Hebrew classes and I studied some Hebrew and I think just like having a connection to the spiritual practice one of my teachers said to me one time this thing that like Judaism is like it, like Christianity is about like individuality and about like individual relationship with God and about belief and faith and that Judaism is on the contrary about being around other Jews and about like having a relationship with the laws and the rituals and the history and so you don't have to believe in anything to be Jewish you just have to be around Jews and like do Jewish shit and that's part of enacting it Whereas in Christianity, like, you can, like, go colonize another country and, like, murder a bunch of people and be like, but I had a personal faith relationship with God the whole time. Whereas in Judaism, if you left the community or if you weren't disobeying the laws, then you would be, like, have to reckon with, like, what your Judaism was or, like, if it was authentic or if it was intact. Um, And I think that's part of the way that, like, white people got fucked over by white supremacy was, like, white Jews is by being like, oh... What if we didn't live in community and just, like, were, like, we bought mitzvah our kids or, like, have Jewish country clubs, but we're, like, not really living the laws or not really living in community? Like, would we still be Jewish? And then the, all of the children being, like, whatever, we don't care about... Like, there's this, like, in, like, mainstream white American Jewishness now, there's, like, the people are, like, why don't young people care about Judaism? 
And it's kind of, I'm always like, because you guys sold out. Like, because the thing you were left over with was kind of boring. So then I think it's also like this generational question of like, for people in our generation who want Jewish community, like, what does it look like? What does a compiling version look like? And I'm still trying to figure it out. Mm. Is there any other forms of, like, spirituality that you include in your everyday life? I think I got really... When I got into community organizing and I got into... Maybe, like... Well, I got maybe just since I was a kid, actually. I have a really, a pretty, like, deep and old and weird relationship with Buddhist stuff that I think started when I was eight. And I had this teacher who was my summer camp counselor who was, like, he was just always on me about different stuff. But he got me really into, like, certain kinds of meditation stuff and certain kinds of, like, doing, like, sensory and body rituals as a, like, grounding thing that I later learned. I was like, oh, he was an intense Buddhist and was, like, trying to teach me certain things he thought would help me. But he never framed it like that. So I didn't understand until I was a teenager, like, a little older. Um, and then I just had different, I spent a lot of time in different Zen Buddhist monasteries, like in my twenties. Um, but I think that a lot of that history and tradition and writings of some of those teachers like changed my life a lot around also like, especially thinking about like conflict, thinking about like emotions and how to like understand what emotions are and like how to understand like suffering. Um, Cause some of the Jewish stuff about suffering is so like punishing. Like Jews are just like, you just have to like walk through the fire and then like maybe it's the, like maybe you die and like no one cares. And like in Buddhism. <laughs> Where do you learn that one? <laughs> I don't know. Just like in the, just like some of the folk tales are really like about how, um, there's, like, no redemption or something, because it's not Christian. Like, it's, like, some... It's, like, the job. Like, just being, like, maybe you just get punished, and then that's it. And in Buddhism, I think there's a little bit more, like, everyone's getting punished all the time, because, like, that part of, like, be, like, be, like, whatever existing is defined by suffering, and so part of, like, what it means to, like, live a full life is, like, learning how to live with suffering. And that is more... But it's been helpful for me. Cause I think Judaism was like a little more like Halloween, like just like spooky, like just being like, what if being alive just does suck and it's like no one's coming for you, you know? And in Buddhism, it's like, yeah, no one's coming for you, but like also like that's like you, like it, there's no such thing as a self and like everything's interconnected and like your suffering and everyone else's suffering are like braided together and like part of a tapestry of like human and non-human, like whatever. So that. I, I'm just now saying really abstract stuff, but I think, like, I would, I don't usually ID as Buddhist in public because I'm a white girl, but I think it influenced me a lot and is a big part of my, like, everyday, like, how I integrate difficult experiences and how I, like, um when I'm in a situation where I feel stuck and I'm like, how should I feel or what should I do? I think I often think more about Buddhist texts than Jewish ones. Even though like in my day to day, if you were like, do you, I would be more likely found at like a synagogue than like a Zendo. Is compassion taught at therapy school? Is there a way in which you discuss that through mm. conflict? 
uh, strategies. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it's so interesting. Different therapists. Part of one thing about my school that's particular is that it's interdisciplinary. <clears throat> so the different therapies, like kind of like disciplines, believe different stuff about that, and some of them are like are like transference, counter-transference. So they're like, if their patient is mad at you and then you get mad at them, that's part of the work of therapy is being like, where did these feelings come from? Like, what do they mean? Like, our relationship is the text. And then there's other schools of therapy that are like, just don't get mad at your patient. Like, stay chill. Like, do, like, help them work through their problems. And so it kind of depends who you ask, I think. Like, what the role is of your um, own emotions in the process. I do think that, like, all the schools, to some extent, believe that, like, your personal development or, like, your own human development and your relationship to your emotions is part of being skillful because you just, even just for familiarity with yourself or, like, knowing what's hard for you or, like, knowing what your some of your tendencies are. Um, but they're not super, like, ambitious or, like, creative about teaching that stuff like I think they could if they were like how do we get everyone to figure out what their triggers are like they could do a lot of weird like group scenario stuff and like role plays there's like ways to like induce some of those is there any role play there is but it's super super like bounded like I did a role play last week that was about doing intake and you're like what brings you in today and then another one of your classmates has like come up with a problem and then they're like i'm sad because i've lost my job and then you're like i'm sorry to hear that like when did you lose your job like how long have you worked and so you do that with them for like 10 minutes and that's because we're in a class where we're getting prepped to do intake i think at higher levels there might be like more sophisticated or complex stuff going on the closest thing that I've come to anything that's, like, more, like, interesting, there are these people who, in, like, social psych, who do group relations, which is, like, groups of people getting together for, like, four days at a time, and, like, sitting in a room with no agenda, but their only, like, goal is to, like, talk about what's going on in the here and now, and as a group, and then everyone just, like, loses their shit. Like, everyone gets really upset, and, like, is, is that like... called something? It's called group relations. That's, like, what the field is called. It's really fringy, but it's super, um, whatever. I got, like, into it for a couple of years. I haven't done anything with it in a while. But they're, partly because their thing about, like, identity stuff is they're like, oh, if you're, like, a trans person in the space, or, like, oh, if you're a black person in the space, they're like, that's just, like, whatever transference, like, you evoke from people, like, that's just interesting. And they don't really have, like, an, they don't have, like, a critique of oppression exactly. And so when I started, I think I went to a group relations conference in 2016. And I was, like, out, and I was, like, pretty alarmed by how unsupportive it was. Like, everyone was just kind of, like, trying to out me all the time, like, trying to get me to talk about it, like, being really, like, confrontational about it and being, like, well, like, is there anyone in here who, like, has, like, a gender experience that's not normal, like, want to step up and shit? And I would be, like, it just felt, like, really kind of, like, hostile. And I think, like, that, what the, the analysis of that space would be, like, yeah, that hostility is, like, what it is, like, is the transference like that's the work it's like work with the hostility 
but I was I was like, oh yeah, no one's gonna, you know, and in a way it's like real. That's like yeah, that was transphobia, and like yeah, no one's gonna fucking protect you from it. But I was kind of like, oh, I don't. It was just like, oh, in that part of my process, that wasn't what I needed to be in spaces like that. Mm. Um, yeah. But that's a whole, like, I think some activities like that and formats like that are really helpful for people getting kind of pushed on their stuff. And we don't really do that in my therapy school right now as it stands. But we might later on. I don't really know what's happening. Like, year three is still like a black box. Mm. I'm thinking of other ways that you are in your gender now and, and also the ways in which you've perhaps transitioned with other friends that are transitioning and like what that experience was for you totally mm. oh it's so interesting that one is like so deep and weird I think like When I first started, I think before I came out, I had like a couple of things going on for me. One was that I had like a really, I had like a lifelong thing where I was like, when I was like a little, little kid, I was like, I'm a girl, like here's my girl name, like I have all these girls clothes. And then as I got older, I had like more like bounded relationship to it. I'd be like, every time there's a school play, I like publicly play an extremely femme character. Or like when I'm a teenager, like every school dance, I like show up in drag. But I never like, I was always like, but I'm a boy. And then also like, when I got a little older, like when I was in my 20s and I had different like social justice, I had some kind of like turfy social justice mentorship that was like, it's like wrong like someone told me it was like wrong to be want to be a woman in patriarchy because it's like wrong for someone with a privileged identity to want to have a more marginalized identity and so I think I really like internalized that and was kind of like yeah whatever part of my gender is unresolved is that's just like something that will like work itself out or the course of my life but I didn't think I could do anything about it or like I didn't like I just was like I'm just like a faggoty man or something and like I had these friends when I was in Philly I got made friends with these punks who were like I don't know I didn't understand why they wanted to be friends with me because I was like a cis guy who worked at a consulting firm but they thought I was cool and I, they we would like whatever do like graffiti and like be losers and like eventually there was like one night one of them who was like strongly id'd as non-binary and i were like staying up all night like talking and like drinking and they were like hey like when you talk about your gender like it doesn't sound like you feel cis and i was like yeah i don't but like whatever like men shouldn't take up space in this way and like i don't want to take up space like just i had all of this all these blocks around like even like looking into it as part of my own identity and they were like, would you be comfortable if I used they, them pronouns for you? And I remember having this feeling that was like, oh, like, uh, um, like my heart rate went up and I was like, Ugh. and it was actually like four years before that, another one of my friends and I, we had been like working on this like social justice retreat together. And at the end of the first retreat, my friend, was like, hey, like, 
because who and that person who's like now transitioned also like but he at the time was like he was like you're not a man like you don't have to be a man and I was like I do have to like it's like part of the movement so I had this like interaction with a friend a really close friend like that like years before this time in Philly and then I kind of like I was like, we need feminist men. Like, we, I need to be in this role. Like, there's no way out. And then when I was, like, years later, was in Philly and, like, had a different life, and this other friend of mine was like, hey, do you want to use they, them pronouns? I was like, I guess you could use them. Like, I, like, was like, I'll try it. But I remember having this, like, physiological feeling of being like, what's going on? And at the same time, I was like... I somehow, like, knew... When I was a teenager, like, a young teenager and was into punk stuff, I was really into, like, the first, like, Against Me EPs, like, all, like, the folk punk stuff. And then when the lead singer of Against Me transitioned, I, like, knew about it, but I never, like... I was like, their new music isn't cool anyway, so, like, I don't even listen to it. But for some reason, that spring in Philly, I was, like, listening to... I, like, found one of their albums and I listened to it, and I got, like, the her music that Laura Jane Grace made after she transitioned and I like lost I remember like leaving I was like coming home on the train from the consulting firm and I was like wearing like a suit and like had like like my fancy earbuds in and like my shiny shoes I was like an intent like and like perfect like five days of stubble and like perfect glasses like like very like professional man costume and I was listening to this punk music about being trans and I was riding the subway and I got into so I was crying so hard I had to get off the subway and I like wandered into a neighborhood in Philly that I didn't know and I like walked for hours and I was like lost and I had this like I was just like went into like a grief hole and when I came out of it I had no idea where I was or what was going on and I was like wait and I had suddenly had a moment where I was like what does this mean like I was like wait what is going on I was like I don't know um and at the time I was like dating a like cis woman who was id to straight and i was kind of like what's what is like what's happening and i remember kind of like telling her about it but like her being like wow that sounds really intense and me being like yeah but i didn't know what to do or i was like there's no like instructions and i was like didn't it didn't occur to me i wasn't like oh well if you're like listening to music by trans women that like is making you really emotional it might be about your own gender stuff like i was like nope that's not what's going on and then like i few months later my friend asked if they could use they pronouns for me and I was like oh I guess so so that was like the beginning of it but it there's been so many phases of like being like I'm non-binary and being like no and when I was IDing as non-binary being like I know privately that there's some part of me that feels like a woman and that like that's what this is all driven by but I don't I'm so afraid to claim that and I'm so afraid to like look into it like I just had to move really slowly which I think is different than ways I do a lot of other stuff in my life like I tend to be pretty decisive and pretty clear but it was really like this like slow emergent process and like I was close to a lot of different people in in different phases of it and like different relationships that were historical or were new like had this like quality in them that was unlocked because of being both being trans And then I think also, like, some relationships also, like, struggled, like, or, like, certain trans people who I was close to when we were making different decisions about how to be in our gender or, like, how to, like, live as trans people. Like, it would be sometimes hard to feel close if one of us was, like, I'm going to try to be more assimilated or one of us was, like, I'm going to try to be more, like, like, freaky all the time. Like, we would, it would create tension. And I think 
I was thinking about this this morning, like I think the favorite version is that like any trans person can support any other trans person in their like process or their growth, but that the reality is that sometimes some people's process is like triggering for other people who are at a different point in their process. Like if someone's like, I transitioned one year ago and then they meet someone who's like just transitioning, they might be like, you're so annoying. Like, I can't believe like you remind me of all these things about myself a year ago. I don't like, and I think I've experienced both ends of that a lot of different times. And people like, because of being in a generation where people are really fixated on like identity and individuality, like that's also like sometimes people who are really close friends who are trans also have versions of being like, I want like comparing themselves to each other or like wanting to be like I'm different than you or like I have my own story or like are you better than me like all of that stuff gets wrapped up in it along with all of the stuff that's about like solidarity and closeness and like illuminating your own identity through your friends like self-discovery and stuff so I think there's like I don't know there's like a lot in there but that's like some of my general thoughts about it Mm -hmm. hi we're back hi so I wanted to know more about your social media life and your relationship to making memes and creating networks that form a more public self. Oh, yeah. Oh, that one's so interesting. I'm glad you asked me about that, actually, because I think, like... So uh, for context, I have a meme account on Instagram. At the time at the time this was being recorded, I had a meme account on Instagram um, called Male Fragility. And I started making memes in private, like, around when I was thinking about transitioning, but I don't think I totally connected the two. And then I remember having breakfast with my friend Sylvia one day, and she had a meme account at the time, MemeSlut666, which is now defunct, sadly. Um, But we were talking about memes for... We had breakfast, and, like, by, like, three hours into the breakfast hang, we're, like no longer looking at each other but just on our phones like showing each other memes like really fast and after a while she was like Hannah no one else will hang out with me and do this like this and I was like do you want to see the memes I've made and she was like you make memes and I was like yeah but I never showed her and I showed her these memes and she was like these are incredible you have to post them and I was like I never would like I would never do that like whatever like white people shouldn't take up space in public like men shouldn't take up space in public and she was like you're being stupid like these memes are really cool and like it's not like you having a meme account means is like it's not like a scarce marketplace on Instagram like anyone can make an Instagram account so I made him this account and I think like early on with it was like super 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 distanced from it identity wise like it was I think I made it really clear or I made it really unclear what my identity was as I was running it because I felt so much shame about being like a white person and being someone who is like overeducated and assigned male who like doing any kind of creative production at all because I was thought it was wrong and I still feel really tortured about it actually um but I one thing that happened that was really instrumental in my transition was that like I wasn't saying what my identities were I was just making content but then as I started getting followers the people who were following me were all trans people and they were like, you're one of us. Like, it was like this thing where people were like, we get you, or like, we see you, or we hear your voice, and we hear that, like... And it was actually just kind of an incredible thing, because I remember when I first, when my friend was like, do you want to use they, them pronouns? And I was like, I guess I'll try it. And then realizing that so many of the people who are following me on Instagram 
around that account and like who were in dialogue with my work were asking the same questions and had just picked that up not from me being like I'm like non-binary but like actually from just the content of my thinking and like the content of my creative work and that was like unbelievably validating like it was like um one of those I think about like one of those like old timey like game show dating shows where it's like if you could only know about someone through like their answers to a bunch of questions or something like that people were connecting with me as a gender variant person without knowing anything about my gender identity and like effectively for like the first part of it when I was closeted like that still people were like we see you we hear you like we want to be connected to you in that way so at this point now I feel like if you follow my meme account for like a month or like if you look at my memes like it's clear that they're made by a trans woman and like I post pictures of myself on my story sometimes and like I think that that's like part of it that's cool is like getting to feel getting to experiment with what it's like to be visible when for so much of the last like four years I've actually felt like just gross being in public or like gross in my body or like not wanting anyone to look at me um, but then I still have all the same old complicated feelings about it where I'm like, you're still like a, like, able-bodied, normatively attractive, like, white person with a lot of class privilege who's, like, being like, I'm a cool artist, and, like, that's stupid. Or, like, I still think, I still feel like I think a lot of guilt and shame about that. And confusion about, like, if it can ever be healing or, like, good, really, at the end of the day. And I know that some of that is just neurotic but it's I am tortured by it mm. and I'm I guess maybe like that it's like a, I'm working on this like I've been working on this manuscript for like the last year and a half about transition that a friend of mine like asked me to write because they have like a art book press and they were like I really like your memes and I want I would we're like doing an imprint of text stuff like do you want to write a like short book about anything and I was like and I had been, like, journaling a lot about trans stuff and, like, writing about different trans stuff. And I think, like, I told her I would do it. And in this phase, like, it's, like, almost finished. And I've just been feeling so, like, squeamish about it. Like, being, like, I really don't want to appear in public in that way. Like, I really... It's really scary, I think. Um, and I feel unresolved about it. Mm. I guess translating to more of the material world, do you have everyday safety concerns? Mm, I think in my like early transition, when I was still, I mean like I think definitely like whatever, like yeah, I have been assaulted in public and like had different scary experiences. And like, I think a lot of, in a lot of spaces, when I'm, like, recently was, like, road tripping through the South, and, like, when I would, like, be at a gas station late at night, would be, like, you could get murdered right now, and, like, that's kind of the deal. I also think that, like, it's important for me to remember that, oh, I don't know, like, I had facial feminization surgery last year, and that, like, changed a lot for me. Like, I think just in terms of, like, how often I pass, and, like, people's, like, even if people, like, give me a second look or, like, what's your deal gender-wise, they're less instinctively, like, their, like, transphobic rage is, like, less immediately triggered by me now. 
And I think, like, if I get more, the more assimilated and passing I get, like, the more that that will be different. And I think, like, that, those choices are also in relation to that threat of violence, but they're also in relation to, like, my own, how it, what feels good to me, and it's complicated to have those overlaid on top of each other and not be able to pull them apart. And I think it's also, like, a kind of, like, generic feminist problem in this other way like being like oh like if people give you a hard time for like not adhering to like femme gender norms like is that just sexism if you want to do the normative gender stuff or is it also part of your authentic self-expression and like being like I don't know um but yeah I feel safer in New York City than I do in a lot of other places and I also don't feel safe all the time and I don't, it's also hard to tell in this phase how much of that is also just, or it's like one of those like funny riddles of trans femininity of like being like, like when I was like a little kid and I was just like walking around my hometown, like people would like yell faggot out the window of cars at me all the time. But like now when people like non-consensually touch me in the club I'm like I'm not sure if it's because they I'm passing and they're just treating me the way they treat cis women or if it's because of like transphobia stuff like I like it's all mixed up and you don't ever exactly know like why someone's harassing you or fucking with you when you're gender variant like you're like is it just because like what's you know it could I was talking about this recently because I also think this isn't something that just happens to trans femme people or like I was talking to a friend recently who's like non-binary but is on T and they're like in a part of their process where like they pass most of the time as like a guy but like a like very like delicate faggoty guy and they're like they were like, well, you know, when I was, like, read as a woman, like, people didn't, like, fuck with me on the street, but now people, like, yell faggot at me all the time out of cars and, like, scream at me and, like... And I think there's also this way that, like, men are subject to violence in our culture, to, in gendered violence and gender-based violence, and especially, like, men of color in this world that gets, like... That I also can relate to as someone who is, like, a gender-variant boy for a lot of my life. And I think, like, it's just we, everyone gets different punishments and gets fucked with in different ways. And that doesn't mean that, like, sexism doesn't exist or, like, patriarchy doesn't exist. But, like, um, I think that, like, a weird, the weirdest part of this phase of my transition maybe has been, like, the moments where I'm really passing and I'm like, oh, you're just, like, a white woman now. Like, now you're just, like, a, like, adult white woman who has all of the like intent like all of the intensity and oppressiveness and weirdness of like that structural identity that has its own weird part like I don't know it's like I don't know that one I'm still like wrestling with I think because of my mom being like an intense white feminist and having like a lot of like weird stuff in her feminism that's about white womanhood or something I don't know that's like vague but such a weird one mm-hmm. um, I guess do you have any advice for people that are thinking about FFS or mm-hmm. yeah any kinds of experiences you'd want to share about going through that yeah um, I got it covered by insurance and I think that's something that's pretty 
at least like in 2017 was like doable. I don't know, like as like the Affordable Care Act keep get, keeps getting fucked, like what the status of that stuff is now. But I would recommend that people like, uh, one thing about having like being a public transfer person on Instagram is like a lot of girls DM me being like, will you promote my GoFundMe? Or like, how do you think, like, should I make a GoFundMe? Like how did, you know? And I think like, about I think about getting FFS paid for I think in a lot of cases if you have any kind of mobility or any kind of like kind of like skill set around maneuvering bureaucracy that getting it covered by insurance is doable um there's an organization called Transcend Legal that does basically like sues insurers who deny people trans based healthcare coverage so you can like get if you have like a year which is like how long it takes anyways like you can like get it paid for um, and not pay out of pocket. I think that's one thing. Another thing about it is that the culture of plastic surgery shit is really, really intense. And I think a lot of girls get into, like, a really intense, like, headspace about it that has to do with, like, sexism and perfectionism and, like, body perfectibility stuff and, like, post-human stuff. And, like, for me, it was really clear to me that I was, like, I want to have this surgery done, but I also don't want to have, like, a life where I, like, think about and, like, dwell on plastic surgery all the time. And so I had to, like, also, like, my frame for the process was, like, you're gonna, there's this illusion that you are doing this thing that's about controlling your body, but actually you're just as out of control as you would be, you ever are of your body. Like, it still doesn't belong to you and you can't control the outcome. And it's not going to be perfect. And, like, trying to let go of, like, <clears throat> the all of the voices of all the different girls in the trans forums being, like, this surgeon does fucked up stuff. Or, like, this thing makes you look weird. Or, like, this girl, like, still looks like a man. Like, all that stuff just... I think all that stuff can be so toxic. And not toxic isn't even, like, it's not an illustrative word. It's, like, so... Um, it, like, stays with you and it doesn't necessarily help you, like actualize or like get where you're going so like to try to like take all that with a grain of salt and just like stay focused on like what would feel good to you and what your goals are yeah thanks <laughs> um i guess i'll ask a few more questions you mentioned writing a manuscript or a short book and i wanted to know if you wanted to talk more about that or the experience of going through that and also in relation to yeah being in therapy school like about disclosure and all the ways that you're kind of forming like all these multiple selves that are extended through these different networks totally i mean i think the manuscript started as like a diary and i think like what it ended up being about was about like consciousness of cultural categories and identities and then like inhabiting them at the same time and I that's really vague and not that helpful but I think like that's one of the specific ideas that I talk about in the book is like this idea that identity categories have cultural and historical contingency or like have cultural and historical context that defines what they are so like Foucault is like in the 19th century like we invented homosexuality and that doesn't mean that like before the 19th century there weren't like men who fucked men but it means like in that time like we decided there was a category called homosexual and we started putting people in the category and I think like the category of like trans women has been like 
slowly like scooped out over the course of the 20th century and is getting like more and more like concretely named and identified in culture in this phase with like trans celebrities and like trans awareness stuff and like all these different pieces and thinking about what it means to transition like in the context of that like and being like is where there's this other person who's like kind of like in working in the tradition of Foucault who talks about like being like in the fifth it's like doesn't make sense to talk about what schizophrenia was in the 1500s because schizophrenia didn't exist you know like even if someone had those symptoms like it was just a totally different thing like the category is the illness like the illness isn't trans historical or something and so thinking also about like transness as a um as something that like historically has been a medical diagnosis and being like oh like that medical diagnosis was invented in this time to describe people like me and I know that I have like a this feeling like that is like ancestral of being like I know people like me existed throughout history and like there's like all these records of gender variant people in different cultures and like trans feminine people in different cultures but what does it look like or mean to have connection across time and history if you also know that like your own perception of your identity is intensely limited by what's happening in contemporary culture. So that's like the driest or most abstract theoretical take of what the manuscript is about, but mostly what it's actually about is like doing drugs with my friends. Um, and like what it felt like in my body in different phases of transition. And I think like I wrote it and decided to publish it because I thought it might be helpful to someone else who was going through some of that stuff. So it'll come out, like, sometime this year. But I don't know when because I keep on delaying it because I keep on feeling freaked out by it. Um, that was the first part of your question. Then the second part was about multiple identities and different platforms. Is that right? Just, I guess, your relationship to vulnerability in relation to a public self. That's, uh-huh. like, we've already addressed in through making memes and perhaps also through modulating being a therapist, but totally. Um, I guess it just is multiple in the way that you also are writing a book and yeah. having interpersonal relationships. Totally. I think I have some compartments or like, I think like the name that I use for like the book is different than the name that I use in therapy school. And like, <clears throat> that just seems like healthy also to have a little boundary. Um, I don't know if that boundary will always hold or like, I think I, post enough pictures of myself on my Instagram account that I'm already in a part of my life where like if I'm in a gay big gay party like usually someone says hi to me and it's like I know you from your meme account or like do you run that meme account which is cute but also I'm like if you actually are gonna do therapy with queer young people in the next 10 years like you will this isn't gonna like go away you know so I have to I have to think about it more. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm still at the beginning of therapy stuff, like I said before, so I don't have to, like... I'm not, like, in a private practice or something. And my friends who I... People I know who are like that are, like, intensely private. So I think it'll just be its own. But then I also think a lot of that stuff about privacy is based... Like, the idea that a therapist should have a totally private life comes from, like, a straight, like, monogamous, like whatever like it that idea of like neutral medical professionals and like I don't know if that model like really works in queer community or like works for queer and trans people anyways 
so I think it's just is like something that like a lot of this stuff I think for a lot of I don't know I had this conversation earlier this year with this trans woman who's a police officer in my hometown who like my parents met and they were like you should hang out with Sharon and I was like okay and then I was like ooh I never don't know if I want to hang out with a cop but I also really want to meet her so we like had coffee and she was like I was like what the fuck like what's your deal and she was like well she was like don't she was basically like we being trans women who are like have any kind of career she was like there's no one came before you who did it like there's no there's like we're other trans women but like they she was like there weren't other trans women police officers before me and in my department at least and like there's no one is coming to help you but like maybe someone will come after you and you just there's a lot of stuff you have to make it up as you go like you just have to decide and make it up and so I feel that way a little bit about privacy stuff and multiple identity stuff where I'm like I want to be able to be exist as a trans woman and like be in queer community and I also want to be a therapist and I don't think those things are mutually exclusive but I think they have been in some cases historically for like other people doing therapy for because of other assumptions that are built into like the idea that like when you're 50 you're supposed to be married and like rooted in your private life and like not ever go to queer parties and like that's not all the people I know who are 50 in New York who seem cool like go out a lot you know and so it's just gonna be different that'll be weird but I don't totally know what it's gonna be like either do you have anything else you feel like sharing right now before we do our game um Well, I guess one thing is just, like, that if you're listening to this and you're a trans person or you're like, am I a trans person or you're thinking about that stuff, that the thing that helped me the absolute most in my process was just to hang out with other people who were, like, gender variant in some way and to just talk to them about it. And I think that that's my one the one most helpful thing for me was just to find other people who were asking the same questions and then be like what are you thinking about like like what where are you at in your process and just being really curious and having those relationships and connections so that's like my like if I there's like any wisdom I have it's like find your friends and like do it like be ruthless like dm people dm strangers on the internet like fucking like go to parties where you don't know anyone like just find like to like try like find them however you can okay now we're gonna play a short pop side quiz or it's i don't know if we're playing it we're enacting it and um we'll just try it out it's called the cute game okay so i need you to close your eyes okay and um i need you to visualize a desert okay and the desert is just sand a horizon and the sky can you see that? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to ask you to place a few things in the desert. And after you see one thing and I ask you to see another thing, they just all build within the same frame. So okay. they all exist in the same space. Okay. Okay. Looking at the sand in the sky right now, I want you to picture a cube. Okay. Can you tell me what it looks like? Yeah, it's, um, it's really big. And it has like, um, the texture is kind of like brownish, like the wings of a moth, but it's shifting. And it also kind of looks like wood grain sometimes, but mostly like the wings of a moth. And it 
takes up about it's like two thirds of it are in the sand pain and then it crosses the horizon and then about a third of it is in the sky pain is it centered or is it off to the side it's in the middle so it's grounded so it's, or is it like buried or is it it's just on the sand it's, it's on, on the, the surface sand. of the sand yeah okay now with the cube where it is in the desert where it is in the sky where it is could you picture a ladder yeah okay where's the ladder it's like leaning against the cube like as though you were in the sand you could climb on top of the cube and it's like about it's not centered but it's like about a third of the way over and it's a wooden ladder with the rungs are like uh cylinders and it's tall because the cube's really big perfect now i want you to picture a horse Okay. Where's the horse? It's just walking around in the sand near the cube, but not next to it. Kind of to the left of it, just in the desert doing its own thing. Does it have any other attributes? It's brown and it has kind of like white near its feet. And it has a saddle on, but not a bridle and no one's riding it no one's on it and it's just kind of like on its own one just like smelling stuff and walking around okay now i want you to picture flowers do you see them mm-hmm. what where are they they're covering the entire desert they're everywhere the entire desert floor is pink and white flowers and up stretching to the horizon and the horse is smelling them, and they go up against the edges of the cube and the ladder, and that everything is green with this, these like pink and white, impossibly vivid flowers. They're like so bright. And the last thing I want you to picture is a storm. Okay. Where is that? It's far away. It's like swirling in the sky in the distance, kind of like <clears throat> near the horizon. It's like this dark like purplish bruisey color just like twisting but it's really far off wow thank you i think we'll um discuss what all the symbols mean off air so that it doesn't disrupt someone else's experience of the game thank you hannah thank you Viva.